WDBM East Lansing. 89 FM. The Impact. And now. Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. Good evening, Impact Exposure. I'm Abby Newton. Tonight on Exposure, we will be giving a wrap-up of Common Ground Music Festival, which was in Lansing last week. Impact's Miguel Martinez sat down with artist Zizi Ward to talk about her music and inspiration. Also in Exposure, we will talk to a Michigan State professor who just launched a balloon into space. And we will learn how to salsa dance. But first, today's headlines. Lansing authorities opened cooling centers and urged at-risk people to take precautions as the area sweltered in potentially dangerous heat and humidity. The National Weather Service issued a heat advisory for today and Wednesday, saying temperatures could reach into the lower 90s with enough moisture in the air to make it feel like 100. People are advised to stay in the shade and drink lots of water during the day. On Friday, a six-year-old boy miraculously survived suffocation from a sand dune. Nathan Woosner was playing on a giant dune in northern Indiana when he got lost. More than three hours later, rescuers pulled Nathan out from under 11 feet of sand. He showed no signs of life. He was cold to the touch, had no pulse, and was not breathing. His limp body was put into the back of a pickup truck, which started toward a waiting ambulance. But as the truck bounced over the dune, a medic noticed that the boy took a breath. Then the cut on his head started bleeding. The jolt apparently shocked Nathan's body back to life. And in Michigan, lawmakers are taking a closer look at whether the state should continue implementing stricter benchmarks in reading and math and education. A House subcommittee held its first of several hearings on Common Core state standards. The State Education Board adopted the standards in 2010, but Republicans in Lansing recently blocked state funding for the initiative after conservatives raised concerns it's an intrusion into public schools. Republican Governor Rick Snyder and many in the business and education communities support the national standards as a way to raise the bar for academic achievement. All you have to do is touch my hand to show me you understand and let something happens to me that's some kind of now this past week, Lansing was taken over by Common Ground Music Festival. Music, singing residents, and traveling enthusiasts filled the streets. Impact's Miguel Martinez attended the event and gives us a recap of the performances and the people. Impact 89 FM, I'm Miguel Martinez. Uh, ZZ Ward just started, stopped singing at the Common Ground Music Festival. Hi, my name's Michelle. I'm from Toledo, Ohio. We drove all the way here to see ZZ Ward. How'd you like the show? How'd you enjoy it? She was amazing, insanely amazing. She sounds unreal, like just like the CD. She's unbelievable. Like leading up to this, I've been listening to her latest CD religiously for the last few weeks. We noticed that you knew every word to every song, so you think it's a good album? 
There is not a bad song. There are not that many CDs that you can listen to front to back and not have to fast forward any of them. There's not a bad song on that. I came to see tonight, well, to see Ben Folds and Guster, and I've seen Bare Naked Ladies before, so yeah. it looks good so far. My name's Emily, I'm from Grand Ledge, and I came to see Guster and Ben Folds. I've seen them before, so looking forward to seeing them again. I'm, I'm sitting here listening to Ben Folds 5. My name is Mitchell. All right, Mitchell, how do you like the show? Have you seen Ben Folds before? Yeah, I actually saw Ben Folds about five years ago in Ann Arbor. How'd you like that? I loved it. Um, during his encore, he actually came out and he started jamming and he looked out at the crowd and he turned to us and he started smashing his piano stool into the keyboard. Looked out at us, looked at us one last time and then backed up through the piano stool into the keyboard and then just walked off. With 88.9 The Impact, this is Miguel Martinez. We just got down, done Monday night at Common Ground Music Festival. It was a great time. We definitely started off right, got here at 3.30, saw some of the bands, interviewed CZ Ward. She gave us a shout-out. Then we saw some of the other great bands, uh, Guster. We saw Ben Folds 5. That got crazy. It was definitely a good time. We saw some local bands from Lansing. There were some people here from Toledo, people here from all over the country, all over the state. It's definitely a great way to spend your Monday evening, Monday afternoon with Impact at Common Ground Music Festival. Martinez also spoke with one of the artists who performed at the event, ZZ Ward. I'm ZZ Ward. Um, I literally just got here from the hotel, and I've been at the hotel all day, so I have no gauge of what this festival is like yet at all. But um, I could probably have a better answer after we play on stage, um, but I'm sure it's going to be great. Um, you know, this is actually my first time to Lansing, so... Have you ever toured in Michigan before? Yeah, we played Detroit, and we played Grand Rapids. Um, Grand Rapids was turned up the other day. It was crazy. Yeah, they were like, it was like the whole day was really quiet, and then we got on stage, and they were just like crazy. So yeah, we have toured Michigan before. What are you looking forward to the most from like this tour? How do you think the Michigan crowd is going to react? Uh, I mean, I hope they, you know, I hope they get really into it. It's always really fun when a crowd just, you know, lets lets loose and just has a great time with us because. No matter where we go, I mean, we just did two other festivals um, this weekend, and uh, no matter where we go, we bring our energy. You know, even if people are 
very chill or it's a family concert. I mean, we are who we are and we don't hide that, you know. So it's more fun for us if people just get into it. So I hope that they do that today. And then, yeah, we've been playing you on the Impact lately. And I mean, obviously, like, you've been getting played in other radio stations as well. How do you like that? How is that? Um, it's great. I think, you know, this is, this is my first record. So I think that... Um, you know, the more I go out there and the more I tour, the more people are playing the song. And you just, as an artist, you really have to put the work in, I think. I mean, for me, it's like I go on the road all the time. And, it, you know, and, and, and that's how I get my music out there, really. So, yeah, all the radio stations have been incredibly supportive. And it really helps to get my songs out to people that may have never heard of me before. What would you say is your biggest musical influence? Mm, my biggest musical influence? Um... As far as artists, or could you elaborate on your question? Yeah, I mean, artists, and then also just, like, music genre, like, what do you think? Because your sound's really unique, so what do you think, like, it mixes? Or? Yeah, it's, it's a, I'd say it's a mix of blues and hip-hop. I grew up listening to blues um, through my parents. They were really into, like, Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf, Big Mama Thornton. Um, lots of blues. So I got into blues through my parents, and then my brother would listen to hip-hop. So uh, I would steal his Nas and Jay-Z records and, um, well, CDs. And uh, Outkast, Biggie Small, Snoop Dogg. So for me, it's like my music has to have hip-hop, you know, hip-hop rhythms in it. And I'm very influenced by rap. Um, obviously, um, Freddie Gibbs is on my record and Kendrick Lamar. So I lucked out with that and uh, got some amazingly talented rappers on there. Um, but yeah, so that's what I would say. It's a blend of blues and hip-hop. How'd you end up meeting Kendrick? Um, well, I flipped one of his songs for my mixtape that I put out, which is the same thing I did with Gibbs. And, um, and you know, I wanted him to be on the record, and they heard what I did with their song, and then they heard the songs that I wanted them to be on. And, uh, and I mean, the one was uh, a Gibbs song that I flipped, and he actually rapped on my version of his song, which is amazing. <laughs> and then Kendrick I had on a song called Crying Wolf on my record. Um, so, I mean, I guess he, he heard it and he believed in my talent. And, uh, and this was before Kendrick was, you know, blown up so yeah, much. Awesome. And uh, he's, you know, I thought he was incredibly talented. So, yeah. How was it working with them? Did you... Um, I actually didn't. I didn't go in the studio with Kendrick. Um, I just met Kendrick recently at, um, at Firefly Festival. Uh, he played after me. And uh, he's really cool. He's a good guy. He's got a lot of stuff going on right now. You know, it's a lot. I'm sure it's a lot to take in when things are. I mean, things are stirring up for me a lot. But he's at a, le a level right now where things are really, really blowing up for him. So, you know, he seems like he's got his head on straight, and he's uh, he appreciates it all. So, he's a, he's a good dude. And uh, working with Gibbs in the studio was really cool because I was a big Gibbs fan before um, he was on my record. And um, and then he wrote his he wrote his verse and then he went in and he spit it and he just did it real quick. And uh, yeah, it was dope. What's the, what's your favorite part of the record experience or like getting your name out there and everything right now? Um, I mean, I think we've gotten to a level with performing right now where we're just really comfortable on stage because we do it every day. Um, so there's something that's really fun in that, you know, because you kind of keep pushing yourself and, you know, I mean, that's how a lot of bands that, you know, became legendary, like the Stones and Led Zeppelin and the Beatles, it's like, they really did it, you know, they were out there on the road and they played all those shows and they worked their butts off. Yeah, so it's like, I mean, I'm a chick out here doing it and there's other girls, obviously, you know, Fleetwood Mac and, I mean, I mean Joan Jett, there's, there's ton of, I could name a million artists that are females that have done this, but... Um, I think that, you know, I think that touring gives us 
gives us chops. So that's a really fun part of it right now. We're out here just kind of, uh, you know, doing that as much as we can. What do you have going on for the rest of the summer? Do you have anything nearby here? Um, well, we're doing a lot of festivals. I don't know off the top of my head what festivals we're doing, like if we're doing anything near here. Um, we just did um, Summerfest, and we just did um, this other festival in Iowa called um, Saturday in the Park. Um, I think we're doing some festivals out on the West Coast the rest of the summer. And then um, in the fall, um, I have the Down and Dirty Shine Tour. That's I think we're, we're coming back to Michigan. I'm not sure. I think it's Detroit. I think we're going to yeah, Detroit. Sure Detroit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is Zizi Ward, and you're listening to Impact 89FM. Your clothes out on the blacktop, scattered suits on the street, frames and broken pictures in the mid-September heat. We say these nights on fire so hot, we bend it down. Now all that's left of us is ashes on the ground. I told you back in June, you knew damn well what I Peace. 
Today, we also talked with marketing director and event coordinator Jenna Meyer about Common Ground Music Festival and about the plans for next year. Common Ground went really well this year. We had a great week. Uh, lots of people came out, and there was some great music. How long was the planning process? I can't even imagine. Well, we actually start planning the day after the Common Ground <laughs> the year before. So, so your work has started. <laughs> My work has started, yes. Goes into the planning process. Um, we have to plan everything from the bands being booked to staging, the fencing, sponsorship, uh, and marketing. How many bands did you have this year? We had over sixty bands this year. Is that pretty common? Um, actually, this was the most we've ever had. So you had three stages, right? And what was the crowd like? How would you describe the atmosphere at Common Ground? It was a very positive atmosphere. Uh, Everybody seemed to be enjoying the music. There was music playing at all times, so um, it seemed like our fans were really having a good time. We actually start gates open at 530. (laughs) The music starts right at 530 and goes all the way up until... Um, some nights we had after shows, so it went until 12.30. Was there a, a one most popular musician that everybody kind of flocked to, or was it pretty evenly spaced out? Um, I think each musician drew their own great crowd. Friday night we had over 11,000 people there, so that was our biggest attendance. Has that ever happened before where you had that many people? Actually, last year for Eric Church, we had a similar-sized crowd. Oh, my gosh. What was your personal favorite musician? My personal favorite was the Avid Brothers on Saturday. They are a folk rock group, and they just put on an amazing live show. Wow. Now, did you get a lot of um, opportunity to pick who came to Common Ground, and did you kind of handpick who you liked? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um, Kevin Meyer, the festival director, he does all of the talent buying, so chooses mostly who comes. Um, he'll ask everybody in the office, you know, is, is this band popular and how many tickets do you think they'll sell? But it really comes down to um, how many tickets we think they'll sell and what the fans want. Okay. Not really what the staff wants. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> now, did you get a chance to really enjoy the festival or was it more go, go, go for you? It was more go, go, go. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of work during the event, but I got to catch a couple minutes of each set. Okay. Did your staff have a big celebration upon the completion of the festival? Well, we are actually still tearing down, so uh, we haven't actually finished yet. Well, best of luck with that then. Um, Now, what's the history behind the Common Ground Festival? How long has it been going on, and what made it kind of popular in Lansing itself? Well, this is the 14th year, Mm -hmm. and it's actually started as a partnership between Meridian Entertainment Group and Lansing Entertainment Public Facilities Authority with the help of uh, Mayor Hollister back in 2000. And um, really, it's just become one of the biggest events in downtown Lansing for everyone to go to each summer. How many people came to their first event 14 years ago? Oh, you know, I would have to go back and look up those numbers, Mm -hmm. but we had a pretty good crowd. Um, Now we are drawing about 50,000 people over the seven days. Wow. The last couple years we've done those numbers. And what's the common demographic? Is it mostly students or is it mostly families? What do you think? It, it varies depending on who the bands are that are playing. But this year we had um, probably 16 to 45 was our main demographic. 
And what's um, in, in the future of Common Ground? What are you thinking? Are you going to try to keep expanding? Do you have different acts coming next year? Have you already started planning for next year? Oh, we've already started planning. Um, it takes actually several months to figure out which bands are coming because mm-hmm. it's the whole process to put offers in. Um, but I think what we'll do is we'll just try to bring who everybody wants to see and who we think will sell the most tickets. And besides music, what other things are there to offer for um, fans? Um, we had this year, we had a couple of food demos that happened throughout the week um, with local celebrity chefs. Um, we also had this international art exhibit called Architects of Air. And then we also had um, the color run took place on Saturday, and that finished in front of the Auto Valley main stage. We actually planned that so that it would end in front of the uh, festival stage, and there were some DJs, and we had a little post-color run party at the end. Actually, yes, I ran the race. <laughs> so that was your celebration, right? It, it was, <laughs> Well, Jenna, is there anything else you'd like to add about Common Ground? No, that's good. I just hope everybody comes out for uh, the 15th year next year. All right. Well, thank you so much. And it sounds like you put on a fantastic festival. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. (laughs) That was Jenna Maya, Marketing Director and Event Coordinator. After the break, we will explore balloons in space and get a little jiggy with it as we learn how to salsa dance. All it'll take is just one moment And you can say goodbye to how we had it planned Fear like a habit, run like a rabbit Out and away Through the screen door to the Prove it. You and I were the same 
Michigan State University journalism professor took on a unique challenge to launch a weather balloon 100,000 feet into the Earth's atmosphere. Professor Troy Hale is in the studio to talk about this interesting idea. You have launched a weather balloon. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so we, I work with a lot of students that like to do filmmaking type things, and uh, they like cameras and those kind of things. So I came up with this idea about, well, why don't we stick a whole bunch of little cameras in a weather balloon and send it up and see what it looks like up there. And there's a lot of stuff like this on YouTube. Uh, but when I watched the YouTube stuff, I was like, oh, I'd love to look down. I'd love to look up. I'd love to look to the left. So I said, well, I can do that, you know, so we'll put a lot lot more cameras in there. So I brought it up to a couple of students and they're like, oh, yeah, let's go do that. You know, and for me, it's like it's like being a kid. I used to launch model rockets as a kid. Well, this one goes up a lot further than my model rockets did. So <laughs> I was like, well, that's kind of fun. Right. Yeah. It doesn't come back down and hit you either. So I bet no, your mom's happy. It's got a parachute. You know, it's <laughs> right. not it's not. I mean, it could come down and hit you, but. The odds are it won't. (laughs) (laughs) So how many cameras does the weather balloon have? We put five in this one. Okay. So you've got three in a circle, like for 180 degrees, so you can look completely around, and then you can look down, and you can look up. And how has the footage turned out? The footage was pretty incredible. Now, this was the second balloon we launched. The first balloon we launched, we put cameras in as well, but it ended up in Lake Erie. So we didn't get any of that back. (laughs) So this was the second launch. So this time, instead of launching from Detroit, landing in Lake Erie, we launched from Grand Rapids. So we had a lot more land. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it it came down, and we found it. And we had a great team. Um, uh, We we teamed up with a company out there that does this all the time. And uh, they were just great. They they were able to track the thing in the air. Uh, So they actually brought us close enough that we actually saw it coming down. We Mm -hmm. saw it landing. Uh, and then we go, oh, it's right there. Go get it, you know. So, wow. So yeah. how high did it end up going? It went 105,000 feet up in the air. So three times higher than you fly in a jet airliner. Oh, my God. And, it's, and when you get up there, you know, this is the reason why we, why we call it the space balloon, because when you get up there, it looks like space. There's so little air resistance up there that, that the balloon kind of floats up there and, and the camera floats. Not, not float like zero gravity, but it just feels like it, it just doesn't move as much with, because there's no uh, wind up there. And it, it, the sky's black. You can see the curvature of the Earth. So it just looks like you're in space. Jeez. And have you ever been to space? No. <laughs> is well, that your is, next plan? <laughs> this is the closest that I'm ever going to get. You know, I, I love, you know, watching the old uh, uh, moon landings and all that kind of stuff. And it's the closest I'll ever get. So that was, that was one of the exciting things for me as mm-hmm. well. Uh, the great part is, you know, we, we got the cameras back. And I had my, my student uh, photographers in the back seat and we're driving back. And all we could hear was like, oh, that footage is awesome. Oh, look at that. And I'm driving, of course. I can't see any of the footage. So we had to pull over so I could look at some of it. <laughs> now, was there any really odd things that happened to the balloon while it was in flight? There's always odd things, mm-hmm. I think, that happens. Uh, you know, we we planned for the balloon to go to 60,000 feet. And we made a small calculation error on the weight of the balloon. So the, the balloon actually rose much slower than what it was supposed to, which means it went, it went much higher and it also went much further. So we launched from Grand Rapids. The balloon actually started going south. Then it came back and went right over where we launched it from. So it was kind of nice because we didn't have to go and chase it right away. We, we knew the winds were going to do that. So we actually just sat in the building for an hour and watched it on a computer screen. Uh, and then it's, it went to really high altitudes and it started taking off. And it started taking off west. And it, and it really got me worried because I landed in Lake Erie the first time. Oh. And I was worried about landing in another lake. Gosh darn, being surrounded by the lakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, but it popped, and it popped at 105,000 feet, and we got the phone call that it popped, and, and uh, they told us the altitude. We're like, wow, we can't believe it went that high. Uh, and then it 
came all the way back down and landed outside of Holland. And the cameras were okay? Cameras were okay, yeah. When, when we saw it come down and land, that we saw the parachute open, it comes down about 10 miles an hour. So um, landed in some trees. <laughs> so uh, one of my photographers, uh, Kirk Mason, climbed the tree for us, and he got, uh, he got poison ivy by climbing the tree. So okay. I ended up having to buy him some stuff for this poison <laughs> ivy. <laughs> but, it was, but it was worth it. We got the thing back, and it, the footage was excellent. And so. what do you want to do with the footage now? We're planning on putting the, all the footage together in, in a room for a children's museum and projecting it so kids can go inside of it and kind of ride this balloon into space. Wow. Has yeah. there any, been any project done that is similar to this before? Not that I know of. Maybe there is, but I, I guess it's part of me as, as a kid, I would have really loved to feel what it's like to kind of float out there in space. Mm -hmm. and, and like I said, I'm never going to be an astronaut. So having that feeling would be kind of cool to me. Uh, and we're going to try to launch a couple more to, you know, we had a little hiccups on, on the flight. So we'd like to try to launch a couple more of these just to get everything to work perfectly. You know? And would you launch them from the same area or keep moving around the state or the country? I, I, I really like moving around uh, because more and more people can see what we're doing. So I think that's a lot of fun. Um, and we, we are going to team up with the, the same guys. And, and they were just so great in helping us track this thing and find it. Um, so the last time we did it, we just put a little GPS unit up in it and waited for it to land, and we were going to go chase it. Prayed a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it landed in the lake, of course. And, and with these guys, they were like, nope, it's at you know 75,000 feet. It's minus 20 degrees up there right now. And, I mean, they had all these statistics. The balloon's traveling at you know 25 miles an hour. You know, So having that data was really helpful for us. And have you ever been in a hot air balloon? Uh, have I been? Uh, I'm trying to think if I have. I think I may have. I've done a lot of stories about hot air balloons, um, but I've been in I, I've, I've been in news helicopters and sure. I, you know, I've been in a lot of things like that. I don't know if I've been in a in a hot air balloon. This comes pretty close. <laughs> yeah. A little bit higher, I think. Yeah, this one went a little bit higher. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> well, this one, uh, uh, I don't know if you saw the skydive from space. Mm -hmm. That that guy was only about twenty thousand feet higher than we were, so we were really close to where he was. Wow, and the cameras so. were in okay shape when they came back. And yeah, it's actually amazing when you see you can actually see the balloon pop, uh, and you can see all these pieces kind of fly away from the balloon, and then all of a sudden the balloon goes into free fall, just like a skydiver. Mm -hmm. But there's not a lot of air up there, so it it really free falls. It's not like a controlled free fall like a skydiver, and uh, the the balloon is spinning so fast that you can actually watch the footage, and, and you can see that a human couldn't survive that. So this thing is just, you know, it, you can see the earth going by, you know, it just goes by really quickly. Uh, but no, they come back and you know, they're absolutely fine. We, we put them in a bunch of foam. They insulated themselves, so they stayed warm uh, and it seemed to have worked. I've got all five cameras sitting on my shelf in my office. <laughs> Good little trophies, so, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to use them again. <laughs> uh, it's like the egg drop you do in you know, elementary school. It, it, is, <laughs> it actually is. It is kind of like that. You're, you're right. Actually, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe we should put an egg in it next time just to <laughs> sure. just to make a point. <laughs> it might be hard-boiled by the time it gets back. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, now, what are your plans for your next adventure in the film world? Anything? Oh, we're doing a lot of stuff at MSU. That's the great thing about working here. Um, I, my previous career was as a TV journalist, and, and somebody would hand me a piece of paper with a story on it and say, go do this. Here at MSU, I, I teach filmmaking, but also I get to just make up things. And that's what the Space Balloon Project is. Just, well, why don't we do that? Mm -hmm. 
So we've got a bunch of other projects that we're working on right now. We're, we've got a, a documentary about um, missing moon rocks. You know, rocks we brought back from from the moon are now missing. Uh, we have a documentary about the influx of uh, of students from China into the U.S. to study. Uh, we there's just so much stuff that we're doing now, and, and we're always looking for students to help us out with these uh, with these films as well. Excellent. Well, is there anything so. else you'd like to add? No, I think that's it. All right. Well, this is Troy Hale with Michigan State University Journalism. Thank you. Thanks. Fly me to the moon Let me play among the stars Let me see what spring is like On Jupiter and Mars In other words Hold my hand In other words Baby, kiss me Fill my heart with song and let me sing forevermore. You are all I long for, all I worship and adore. In other words, please be true. In other words, I love you. As the temperatures are heating up outside, the engineering hall at Michigan State is heating up inside. Why? The Michigan State University Salsa Club has been in full force this summer, dancing the night away every Wednesday. I spoke with one of the salsa dancers about his talent, and I even got a lesson. Uh, my name is Zach Tomchak. So I was, I was the nerdy white kid growing up. Um, I grew up in a, in a farm town um, just north of here, and culture really wasn't something, or diversity wasn't something that was really big. And when I got to MSU, uh, one of my friends is like, hey, let's go salsa dancing at uh, MSU Salsa. And I'm like, yeah. And I was really hesitant about it at first. And then I went, um, and I ran into a friend from high school. And we just, I don't know, we just became salsa friends. And every week she would go, I'd go. And then it just kind of exploded from there. So talk to me about salsa dancing itself. It's a, a dance of a lot of emotion, you know, a lot of passion. How do, you, how do the moves convey that? 
Well, um, so I think what you're talking about is what we would consider musicality in the dance. Um, and salsa is... Salsa can be danced in, in a few ways. Uh, it can be danced in a traditional way, which is something I'm not really able to talk about because I didn't grow up doing salsa. Um, but the way we teach it here, it's, it's a social style. It's a, it's a very club style, and you dance with a partner. Um, and, it, and it doesn't have to be super serious or super emotional. It can just be for fun. Um, you'll see a lot of, especially with the, the ladies styling, you'll get the, the hip rolls and you'll get the body rolls. And, you know, it, it does become a very sexy type dance. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's just fun mm -hmm. um, because you're doing what you can do. And then when you dance with a new partner, because it is a social dance, so you're changing partners all the time if you want. Um, you're learning from new people and, and you're seeing how your style mixes with someone else's style. And so like when I dance, I, I'm not very serious. I've never been a, like a big formal dancer. Um, my style is kind of goofy and, uh, you know, I just like to have a lot of fun with it. And then I'll dance with someone who gets like really into the styling. And, um, like for example, last week I was dancing with uh, a girl from California and we're just like, well, what if we just start throwing random animals into this? <laughs> and so, you know, we were like mocking like elephants as we were doing our style. And so it's just, you know. How does that work exactly? What does that look like? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we do hand flares, I guess. Okay. Um, so you, you throw your hand out to the side or you can sure. throw it up. And so we decided just to throw it like an elephant trunk. I like it. <laughs> I like it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fun. Now, was it difficult to get used to um, the moves when you first attempted to try salsa? Was it awkward? It, it was awkward uh, at first because you're worried about stepping on your partner. <laughs> you're worried about dropping someone. Um, but that eventually just kind of goes away. You get comfortable with yourself and you get comfortable with a partner. Um, a lot of the uncomfortableness comes from lack of confidence in what we're doing. Um, and so as you start doing it more and more, just like anything else, you're going to build that confidence. And, uh, and then it kind of becomes less awkward. Um, there's certain things that I'll only do with certain partners because it involves more body contact. Like the elephant trunks. Like, well, yeah, like the <laughs> elephant trunk or even, um, even body rolls. You know, not everyone is comfortable doing body rolls with, with everyone. And, and what so, is a body roll? Imagine a wave okay. that starts in your chest and ends in your hips. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of like you, you, you start with your chest out and it goes up and then relaxes down into your hips. And, you know, it's not something I would do as a beginner. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, like I said, once you just get used to your, your own body and, and personal space, it's, it becomes a lot easier and it just flows. Have you entered any competitions or things like that? No. Um, one of the great things about dancing with MSU Salsa is that we're, uh, we're a social club. And so we don't worry about competing. We don't worry about getting super serious with it. I mean, we, we like to teach right, correct form and, and correct posture and, and styling and things like that. But it's not like something that we're going to go take this somewhere else and, and compete. We have had members. Um, actually, one of our, our members who's currently serving in the Peace Corps in uh, Africa, her name is Allison, um, took her salsa to Georgia and was competing down there. And we've also partnered with a couple people who are semi-professional, professional, professional wow. salsa dancers. And they, they're just fantastic. And, and they do compete. Okay. So yeah. do. What's your style then? How um, would you describe that? We teach LA, uh, LA club style, um, whereas University of Michigan teaches um, what's called Casino Rueda. Mm -hmm. what, uh, well, how do they look different? Okay. 
So in, in social dancing or club style dancing, what we teach, it's one-on-one. -on -one. You're dancing with a partner and you're only dancing with that partner. Um, you're able to do whatever you want within the parameters of the dance. Whereas with Rueda, um, Rueda actually means wheel in Spanish. And so you're dancing in a circle. You have a partner and then you have couples to your left and right going around in a circle. And you have one person who's designated uh, as the caller. And they'll call out different moves and different patterns, and then the circle or the wheel does that. Um, and you're changing, changing partners. Uh, a very basic analogy would be to consider this like Cuban square dancing. <laughs> you know, you have the caller, and then everyone does that call. Mm -hmm. But that at the same time, there's still a lot of um, freedom to do your own styling and things like that. Mm -hmm. And you're studying Spanish as one of your majors. So has that at all kind of excited the whole salsa culture? Oh, for sure. For okay. sure. Um, so for me personally, um, salsa is just a deeper connection to what I learned in the classroom. Um, so I've, I've studied literature. I've studied the history of Latin America. I've studied diaspora. Um, and so it's, it's interesting for me to see, you know, originally what these dances were. And then to compare it to what I teach here, you know, so, so when you get back to the, the history of it in Cuba, um, where a lot of these, these dances started, um, you had typically slaves trying to emulate what they were seeing in, in the, the houses. So they were seeing European style dances. Well, then the thing became, you know, they didn't have all the same instruments that you would have in a European orchestra. So they're, they're improvising what they do have. So you'll see, um, I think it's called the, the guiro. It's, um, it's a percussion instrument. It looks kind of like a, a hollowed gourd that you can play rhythms on. Mm -hmm. um, you'll see a lot of um, claves, which are two hollowed sticks that are beaten together, congas, um, bongos, and things like that. And you take those formal European dances and you mesh them with the indigenous dances of the various cultures in Africa. Wow. So not only are the different cultural dances of Africa colliding, you're now also creating this concoction with um, European dances. And then you're moving it across the world and it just morphs into this, this weird thing that we call club salsa. Oh, club salsa i club like salsa. it it's got a ring to it yeah. <laughs> excellent and now i understand you're going to teach us a little bit how to do the salsa the first thing i would tell you is think of everything that you know about what you would consider latin music so shakira pitbull daddy yankee and forget it okay <laughs> what shakira does on stage isn't always salsa okay um and don't worry about your hips because okay. they will move on their own Okay. At first, they, they may lie a little bit. Okay. But, but it'll... <laughs> then watch Shakira. Yeah, and then they'll, they'll even out. Um, so the first thing I would tell you to do is you're going to start by learning the basic footwork. For ladies and guys, it's, it's slightly different. So ladies, you're going to start with your right foot going backwards on one. You're going to step with your left foot on two directly in place. And then you're going to bring your feet back together on three. Okay. So we've got... So back, back on forward. one, in place on two, together on three. Okay. It's really important that you shift your weight completely when you're stepping back and forward and back together. Otherwise, you'll tend to get ahead of the beat. Okay. Um, and then we're going to take our left foot, ladies, and we're going to step forward on five. 
five. In place on six with our right foot and back together on seven. Okay. With our left. We just we don't count the four and eight because they're they're deadbeats. Um, what do you do on a deadbeat? Yeah, so that's the question. Um, you <laughs> Is that can, when your hips don't lie? <laughs> yeah. No, um, so on the four and the eight, your feet aren't moving, but it doesn't mean we stop dancing. Okay. So you're still going to hold the emotion that you're holding into it. You're still going to do the styling that you want. Um, and it's so you keep dancing, but you don't move your feet. Okay. Okay. okay? So, okay. Okay. Got so it. now for the guys, we're actually going to kind of mirror exactly what they're doing. We're going to take our left foot forward on one in place with our right foot two and back together three then we're going to step back with our right foot on five in place six and together seven okay. so when you're dancing with your partner if you want to do your footwork with sure. me okay we're just going to go one two three five oh. six seven <laughs> so you're always you it's and like your partner are always other. mirroring each other you're okay right. that makes sense well they're mirroring each other until we tell you something different one of the difficult things for guys to do is to learn how to hold a lady's hand. I know, I know it sounds kind of cliche, but um, we have, I have my favorite analogy. And, and basically, you, you hold your, your hands like you're playing like cops and robbers. Okay. So like you have like your pistol hands. And uh, the three fingers that would go normally around your toy gun um, are going to be kind of the handles for the ladies. So the lady's going to set her hand okay. on top of those three fingers. We're going to fold our pointer fingers across her knuckles and just let our thumbs rest. Okay. Just like that. Why is that? Um, so when we start doing things, we want a loose enough grip to where I'm not going to torque your, mm -hmm. your joints and cause damage, but a firm enough grip to give you good communication. Okay. Because when we start dancing, we're not going to be like, hey, I want you to do a right turn or a crossbody lead. Mm -hmm. or, you know, we're just, we're not going to do that. Lead, um, though. Yeah. Okay. So we're leading through body language and tension um, and it comes in really handy when you're dancing let's say in in another country okay um, where you don't necessarily speak the same language mm -hmm. you don't have to because oh, you know okay that's so it may lead differently but it's it's gonna be the same general idea okay um, trying to think what else uh, so we can we can talk about right turns sure the right turns actually pretty simple um, all you're gonna do is you're gonna take um, your left foot, and this is the same for guys and girls, you're going to take your left foot forward on one. Now, it's really important that you keep your weight centered and you don't take a giant step. The big thing is you don't take a giant step. If you start lunging out, it's it's going to end poorly. Okay. So you take, a, you take a step forward on either one for the guys or five for the ladies, depending on, you know, where your left foot normally goes forward. You're going to kind of pick up yourself on your toes and you're going to pivot to the back wall on six, okay? okay? And then you're gonna take your left foot and use its weight to swing you around on seven or three. <laughs> okay. Right, so, so so it would be, you step forward five, pivot six, turn seven. Oh, back. Okay. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Okay, so what's the most difficult thing about salsa dancing, you think? The most difficult thing is definitely partner communication. So what we mean by that is when I'm dancing with a partner, I'm not going to tell her expressly what to do. I'm not going to vocalize what I want her to do. Mm -hmm. And so what I have to do is, for the leads, we have to think far enough ahead to, to figure out what we're going to do and then figure out how we're going to tell our partner to do that without actually telling them. 
So the guys have the hard part. Well, it, it, it really <laughs> falls on, on the guys and the girls. Um, and so I, I talk a lot about tension in our lessons. You know, the way I lead is going to be different than the way Dan leads, mm -hmm. right? And it's Dan's, the way Dan leads is going to be totally different than the way someone else leads. And adversely, the way you follow or the way that you interpret a lead is going to be different than the way someone else interprets a lead. Okay. So I've, dealt, I've, I've danced with ladies who really love their styling. They just love to. Like the hips and the... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and the <laughs> body rolls and the hand flicks. And, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes to fight through that styling to get her to do what you want. So stops. <laughs> because, you know, as a lead, we can really only suggest a movement. Mm -hmm. It's up to the follow. It's up to the lady to do what we've asked. Okay, so kind of like life, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the life lesson we teach. One, two, three, five. So the guys are stepping forward and placed together, back and placed together, placed together, back and placed together. One, two, three, five, six, seven. You know, and then we can also, we can take this out of a, such a linear fashion. Mm -hmm. And we can start into a, a horizontal plan. Okay. So we just step to the left, two, three, right, five, seven, left, left, two, three, two, two, three. Yeah, I'm feeling. So, so you're you're doing exactly what I was talking about earlier. Okay. Is you have to mentally prepare yourself mm -hmm. for the next thing. Okay. While doing what you're doing, you have to think three steps ahead. Okay. Um, you know, and that, that becomes really important when you're dancing with a partner. Yeah, Even when you're dancing by yourself, because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to look foolish. <laughs> so, yeah, you have to, when I'm stepping back, I'm already thinking of my forward step. Okay. You know, and one of the biggest pitfalls that we find a lot of beginners fall into is they watch their feet. <laughs> you know, don't watch your feet because what, what this should be, this should be almost a subconscious action of moving forward and moving back. When you look at your feet, you actually put it into the conscious part of your brain. And that conscious part of your brain can't fire those neurons as quickly as the subconscious part of your brain. Okay. So, you know, fight that urge to look at your feet. <laughs> yeah, and this is... <laughs> yeah, and then we do, we do fun like this. Thank you, thank you. That was Zach with MSU Salsa and Impact's Dan Cryer joined in on the lesson and made quite the impression on the Salsa Dancing Pro. You can find out more information about MSU Salsa by finding their Facebook page, or you can show up Wednesday in room 2400 of Engineering Hall at Michigan State University from 630 to 10, and you can learn how to have a lesson for yourself. <laughs>
Well, that concludes our show this evening. Next week, Exposure will turn into Sexposure as we welcome Olin Health Center to the studio to talk about all things sex. You can call in to join the conversation. Special thanks to our general manager, Ed Glazer, and our station manager, Sam Riddle. Keeping you informed and bidding you farewell until next week, I'm Abby Newton, Impact Exposure, 89FM. Love to me is like a summer day. Silent cause there's just too much to say. Still and warm and peaceful, even clouds that may drift by can't disturb our summer sky. Take summer, that's my time of year. Winter's shadows seems to disappear. Gay's warmest season, that's the reason I can say that I love a summer day. I hear laughter from the swimming hole Kids out fishing with the willow pole Boats come drifting round the bend Why must summer ever end? Love to me is like a summer day If it ends, the memories will stay Still and warm and peaceful Now the days are getting long I can sing my summer song I hear laughter from the swimming hole Kids are fishing with the willow pole Boats come drifting round the bend Why must summer ever end? Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, you've been listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure.